let's pray and then read the word of the Lord. Father, we come before your throne. The author and the finisher of our faith. Father, you who 6,000 years ago set in place the plan of redemption. And Father, you who are making it move directly in the path, uh, the step, the moments that you have dictated. It is your counsel, it is your will, and it is your way. And Father, even in the cloudiness and and the confusion of our lives, Father, um, it is so clear to you. It is so purposeful for you. And it is so magnificent that you show us and you allow us to be a part of it. Father, um, this world is struggling to overwhelm us. And Lord, I ask that this time you give us ears to hear and eyes to see what it is is before us. And Father, the power and the passion that you showed us on that cross is the power and the passion that you have poured into the hearts of your people. Father, beginning with me, allow me to know, allow me to understand. And Father, may these precious souls, these precious souls, be eager to be overwhelmed by your presence, to be overwhelmed by your purposes, to be overwhelmed by your power, to your glory, to your praise, in Christ's name, amen. Beginning in verse 4, chapter 13, 1 Corinthians, love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it is It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into an account wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We're looking at a text that's kind of sandwiched in between what a lot of people will talk about as dealing with spiritual gifts. And truthfully, it is dealing with spiritual gifts. That 12 through 14 is definitely Paul dealing with spiritual gifts. But the issue is not spiritual gifts. The issue in the church in Corinth is their attitudes uh, of selfishness. Their attitudes of, I want to be predominant. I want to have all the accolades. I want to be seen. I want to be heard. And in chapter 14, you will see that there were times in the fellowship where people would get up and start teaching or someone would have a special music or someone would speak in languages or someone would prophesy and they were all doing it at one time. And his comment is, is if lost people come in here, they think you're nuts. Okay. And the ego is what was the problem. And that was all about the individuals. Um, I shared with you a series of messages a few months ago dealing with our interdependence. In the body of Christ, we are interdependent. We are gifted, empowered, and placed in a certain place for God. And each of us make up a, a dot in what will be the portrait of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. 
Each of us have a, uh, has a position. Each of us has a purpose. Each of us, following the will of God, empowered by the power of God, are used to manifest the person of Jesus Christ collectively in the body of Christ. You call it the church. I call it the church. And then the world looks on it with awe. All right? And part of what was missing is he kind of lays it out in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 3 that if you have languages uh, if, and you do not have love, you're just noisy. But he also says if you can prophesy, speak before, and you know all mysteries, there's nothing in the redemptive plan that you're not... You know every human being who will ever be saved and their purpose in the body of Christ during their existence. You have all knowledge. You know exactly what it took to make the molecular structure of the sun appear. You know everything. You know how time was created. You know how space was created. There is nothing in knowledge that you do not know. And you have enough faith that you can move any row of mountains, single mountains, or range of mountains, and you can move them anywhere you want to because your faith is that strong. And if you have all of that, and you do not have love, you're nothing. You are zero. You have no benefit. But not only that, if you take everything that you will ever own, all of your possessions, and you feed the poor, and it means that you literally are going to take it and piece by piece by piece, and I'm going to make sure this person gets this much, and this person gets this much, and and I'm very much involved with it, and I do that, and I surrender my body to be martyred. I'm willing to die for Jesus. Hang me on the cross. Even like Peter, crucify me upside down. And I do not have love. You have no profit. Okay? So in those first three verses, he sort of kind of hammers it down, doesn't he? He says, I don't care what you do in the church. If you do it without love, it means absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. I went through a series of messages on the definition of love. When we define love, I mean, here in the English language, there's 26 terms in the Greek text defining love, different types of love. Okay, so I'm thinking that, you know, they've kind of got a different view of it. Because I can love my car, my dog, and my wife all at the same love. And sometimes it's seen that way. Okay, I'm, sometimes I, I think he loves his car more than he does his wife. Okay? And I showed you that love was sacrificial. The love that Jesus Christ is talking about, the love that the Word of God is speaking of here, is God's description of love. God never defines love in 66 books of the Bible. He never defines it. He only describes it. Why? Because the Bible says God is love. And He can't define it for you. He just describes it for you. What does it look like? It's enough to say, I'll give my son for the people who hate me. That's how sacrificial it is. It's enough to say, my love is so powerful, I will leave heaven where everything in heaven is lined up at my beckoning to do as I will without question, and I will come down and walk among you. That's what love is. That's how it's defined. And so he goes through this and we see, I call it the facets of love. And here's the reason I call it that. When you shine the beam of 
love into this gemstone. Okay, and this gemstone is the church. It has 15 cuts on it, and all 15 will shine out. You can't have the best out of 15. No, I got 14 out of 15. No, because then you do not have the pure love coming into it. In, in Galatians chapter 5, it says, fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Okay, if I have that fruit, remember the text, it's fruit, it's not fruits. Okay, if I have the fruit of the Spirit, what is that? Love. Then I will have joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, long-suffering, and of all things, there is nothing against the law. Have you ever thought about that? If I am walking in the love of God, I have no need for the law of God. Did you know that? Think about that. I don't have to worry about the do's and the don'ts. Why? Because if you have the love of God, and it is the motivating factor in your actions, your attitude, and everything that you do, you have no need of anything. You have no boundaries. I don't have to worry about causing my brother to stumble. I don't have to worry about what my freedom is. I don't have to worry about what is the Sabbath. I don't have to worry about what is the, the, the feast. I don't have to worry about what holidays. I don't have to worry about what I wear to church. I don't have to worry about any of it. Why? Because I'm walking in a supernatural power. Now, I, I want to share the word supernatural with you because man does have a natural love. Okay? I've never seen a human being who doesn't have it. Every human being has a natural love. Okay? It's called self-preservation. It's everywhere. In that occasionally, you'll see it spill out into family love. And there'll be that, you know, you'll hear blood is thicker than water. Okay? Um, Not always. Uh, When you see Joseph in heaven, ask him about it. Uh, His family didn't seem to be thicker than water. All right, but did you? But I, but I want you to understand. I've seen it. Have you ever seen an inheritance come into a family? Okay, where's the love? It's everywhere. I love me so much. How come I'm getting cheated? All right, and and that's that's what we have to pay attention to. And so what we've been going through in verses four through seven is that these facets, when this love, the supernatural love, is shined, here's what it looks like. Now let me tell you something. What we're going to look at today, I shared with you guys who were here last week. This is the single most important phrase that you're ever going to get in Christendom. Okay, I have been gotten. In, I've gotten in trouble. People say, uh, "Well, you judge the heart." No, I can judge the actions because. The actions come out of the heart. I can see it. Okay? And this phrase that you have right here sets Christianity completely apart from any other religion. Any other religion. Right? It sets Christianity apart from any other thing, any other system, any other method. Okay? And here's what's strange about this phrase. You can't do it. You can't do it. I've been praying for you people for a month and a half or so. Why? Because I've seen this text coming. And I know what this text says. I know I've been wrestling with this thing. But I want to set you a foundation so you can look at it. Because he says, love is patient. It it is long-suffering. You know what that means? When does love stop forgiving? Never. 
that never stops forgiving. And it doesn't matter if it's the same person doing the same wrong over and over and over again. When does it stop? Never. It never stops. But he also goes on and says, not only does it forgive, it is kind. The root word of kind there is useful. The person who is offending you, you will retaliate by being useful to the person offending you. The person who is hurting you, the person who is afflicting you, the person who is causing you torment, you will be useful to them. Okay? Now, who do you do this to? Anybody that's your neighbor. Well, who's your neighbor? Anybody that ain't you. It doesn't delineate between whether it's a believer or a lost person, does it? A saint or an ain't. Who do you love? All of God's creation. We are all God's creatures. I don't care if it's the heroin addict, the prostitute, the preacher, or the, the stumbling saint who's entangled in sin. Not only do I forgive, but I will be useful to you and your circumstance. I remember one time, I don't usually give money to the people who stand on the street signs that says, you know, disabled vet and all the rest of it. But I remember one time I was down on Spear, Spear and Logan, I think it was. And there was this guy standing out front, had this sign, okay? And he says, need beer. I gave him money. Now everybody's going to say, oh my God, you know what? He was truthful. And I said, truthfully, you need Jesus. But here's a buck. How much? I don't know. Get you a big can for that. But he said, I'm trying to get at it. We just look at certain people. We just do this because we don't want to be used. We don't want to be involved. Because you know why? Here's the next one. Love is not jealous. It does not envy. Okay? That's an inner and an outer. And part of jealousy is I don't like, I don't think it's fair that you got what you got. Okay? But there's a deeper envy, a deeper jealousy, and it means to boil. Not only does it say, I don't like what you got, I don't want you to have what you've got. Alright? How hard is that to come by? Let me tell you how easy that is. Anybody ever cut you off in traffic? What's your first response? Bless you, my son. Is it? No. Have you ever been kind of in a hurry? Okay, and get behind somebody who is a tourist. Okay, and it's just a tree, dude. Okay, there's trees all over this country. I've been around this country. I've seen trees everywhere. You don't take that long to look at a tree. Okay, have you ever gotten in the express lane, 10 items, and find yourself looking at the basket going, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, the person in front of you, that guy's got 11. It says 10. Alright, what is that? I'm so important, get out of my way. Go ahead, it's jealousy. It's just, it raises itself up. It is ugly, it is stinky. And it is what Jesus Christ died for our sins. But you know what? It doesn't brag. Love doesn't brag. You know what I mean? It doesn't do things to cause others to be jealous. That's what boasting means. Out of the mouth will speak this verbiage. Okay? It comes out. It says, ah, have you seen it? I gave you a great illustration. If you ever watch somebody say, well, you ain't going to believe what I was doing. I was sitting there and this was happening and it was really great. And all of a sudden you have a bigger story, a better story. 
All right, and you just sit there and die. I got to steer mine. I gotta steer, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Get to the end. Why? Because I want to tell you what I did. And we can spiritualize it. You know, I was out preaching, I was street preaching, and I seen five people come to Jesus Christ. Says, hey, man, I tell you what, I was on the other block. I had 11. Okay? I see it all the time. Listen, I know exactly how many people I baptize in a year. Why? Baptism is very special to me. It means a lot to me. But why do pastors round it up? If you have 21 people that you baptize, why is it 25? Why is that? Well, we baptized what? Why do we do that? Well, I've had 19 professions of faith. Actually, it was 20, but it was really 19. But I'll round it up. Well, I just couldn't remember. Yeah, you do. Absolutely you do. Why? It is boasting and is really literally wanting to cause somebody else to stumble. I'm causing you to be envious. Envious. That's all it is. Why? Because it comes out of love is not arrogant. Okay? This is the single thing that I think is killing the church in America. There's an arrogance in the church in America. Okay? And I believe that we do it across the board. We drive by a church and if they've got a bigger parking lot than us, what do we think? Hey, what are they doing? There's an arrogance. You know what? If truly you're honest with what the, the motive of the church is, is not the church's primary responsibility to get smaller? What? You are going to train disciples to do what? To disciple. And you will send them out. Why would you want to gather them in? Have you ever thought about that? Is that odd? We want more. More people. And I can tell you why. And the reason that it's why is the very text that I will deal with this this morning. If I get enough people sitting in the chairs, that I can get enough money coming in, then I can hire ministers to minister to you. That's what's going on in the body of Christ today. So what will I do? Well, water down doctrine, entertain the people, keep them happy, keep them involved, tell them that you're going to take care of their children, you're going to take care of their grandparents or grandchildren, you're going to take care of their spouses, their unbelieving spouses. If they have a drunk spouse, you'll have something for the drunk spouse. If you have a drug addict spouse, we'll have something for the drug addict spouse. If you're divorced, we'll have a meat market so you can kind of get that resolved. We'll have the youth people, we'll have this people, we'll do this people. What is that? That's arrogance. That's arrogance. That's all it is. Please hear me. It's arrogance. If you think that I have come to meet your needs, then you've missed our Savior. Your needs have been met. All of them. You have been given everything you need for life and godliness. What is that? The eternals and the temporals. When? Now. It's already been given. You have this massive entity. It's a supernatural entity. It's called the church. And it's there for the edification of the saints so that they can be strengthened for what? Ministry. Service. You are saved today. You are a minister of Jesus Christ. That's amazing. Doesn't act unbecomingly. Rude. Okay? Love has manners. Love says that the person around me, if I'm doing something like 
slurping my soup and that bothers them, I'll quit doing that because my concern is for who? For them. Jesus gives us a beautiful picture in Luke chapter 7 when the prostitute comes into the Pharisee's house, begins weeping and wipe on his feet and wiping his feet with her hair. And the Pharisee Simon, who asked Jesus to come, says, Don't you know who that is? And Jesus answers his thought. He answers his thought. He says, Simon, you asked me over here. When I came in, you didn't give me water to wash my feet. When you came in, you didn't anoint my head. You didn't anoint my feet. And so Jesus, God incarnate, stands before this rude man and protects this sinner. How many saints in the body of Christ do you ever see doing that? We have the gossip line. Oh, I'm sorry. It's the prayer chain. Why? Let me tell you who I saw doing what. That's why it says never bring an accusation against an elder unless you have what? Two witnesses. I've had people come and tell me, Oh, you know, I've seen this elder and he had to have been at Hooters. That's the only restaurant that was there. We was downtown. He had to have been at Hooters. And it was lunchtime, so he had to be there. And I looked at the person with all the love I could muster without using a bat. And I said, don't say that. Don't say that. Because, see, I happen to know where this elder worked. And the building, ground floor, is what? Hooters, a restaurant. And he was coming out from where he had, there's this big computer thing that he uses down there, and he was coming out of that building. Now, I knew that, but this person had the audacity to come to me and say that this man, this man of God, I admire as much as any person I've ever met. Well, he was at Hooters. See how silly that is? That's awful. I don't receive an accusation against an elder unless I got two witnesses. Did you see him come out of the door? No. It's lunchtime. He's walking past a restaurant that you believe is ill-clad. Okay. Excuse me. What, what do you want me to do? The elders need to quit walking past places. Nah, that's nuts, people. That's nuts. That, how, why would we protect people? But we don't want to protect people. We want to... I'm better than they are. Why? Well, I didn't go into Hooters. You know what? Neither did he. Neither did he. Because I, I, I knew that there wasn't no way. You could have drug him into Hooters. You, you, could have, you couldn't have tied him up and took him in there. Okay? So it doesn't act rudely. Okay? Understanding that no matter what I do, Okay, if I do it without love, it's zero. Now let me show you something really quick before we get into this, because I want to bring your attention back to a couple of things. I want you to understand that in the book of Corinthians, he's not talking to lost people. He's talking to a church. He's talking to a church. <clears throat> now I'm going to get personal. I'm talking to Castle Rock Baptist Church today. Okay. 
You people who have been a part of this ministry, some of you have been a part for a long time. I don't want you to think about some stuff here. In chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, <clears throat> first three verses, he says, When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Verse 4 says, And my message and my preaching, okay, those are literally to public and private, were not in pervasive, persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstrations of the Spirit and of power. Stop right there. Okay? When Paul came, he didn't have anything to offer except Christ and Him crucified. That's all he had. There was no gimmicks. There was no... Do you have something that will teach our children? Do you have something to reach out to young adults? Do you have something to reach out to young singles? Do you have something to reach out to the older generation? Do you have something to reach out for the middle ages? What about the upward mobile people? Do you have any of those things? No. What did he say? It came with... Nothing, and I was determined to do nothing but know Christ and Him crucified. Period. That's it. Zero. Nothing else. Okay, now go over to chapter 3. The first three verses. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as men of what? The flesh. You were carnal. You act like you were lost. As to infants in Christ... I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you are not yet able. You are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking? Look what he says. Like mere men. Okay, now listen, I want you to understand something. I'm talking to Castle Rock Baptist Church today. The Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. How are you doing with that? How do we do with that? Listen, every one of you, I'm not not sitting here picking on any single person. Every one of you need to understand this. You have good doctrine. The church in Corinth did not have a doctrinal problem. There was no doctrinal issue in the church in Corinth. They had a foundation that was built on Jesus Christ and solid biblical exposition. And yet they acted like what? Mere men. Mere men. Men. Do we understand this? Verse 11 of chapter 3. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is lame, which is Jesus Christ. Remember what he said? I was determined to do what? Nothing but Christ and Him crucified. Okay? Everyone in this room would agree to that, correct? We would all agree to that. 
Somebody say amen. Be charismatic to me. Just show me something. I mean, I got heads nodding now. Yeah, Christ crucified. Yeah. What was he talking about? The faucets of love? No. We have one foundation. It's Jesus Christ. Everyone in this room agrees to that. Now, if any man builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or straw. Okay, you see what he just said there? The foundation is already laid, and each one of us is a block. If you look at what Peter says, he says each of you are a block that is being built into this portrait that is Jesus Christ. Okay? For 2,000 years now, each Christian has been a block built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We are determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ, and we are this block, 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 block. Okay, And when it's, you step back from it, there's times when we get to, we step back from it and we go, Whoa! Whoa! Look! Jesus! That's what He looks like! And we sit there in awe of it, don't we? It brings tears to your eyes, don't it? I mean, you just get overwhelmed. I've seen it. You just sit back and go, Whoa! Whoa! Okay? And it's not done by man. It's not done by methods. It's not done by, well, do you, are you reaching to the young people in the community? Are you reaching to the old people in the community? Are you reaching? And I hear this. You know what? You've got to keep the senior saints in because they're the ones who understand giving and sacrifice and all that. But you've got to reach them young people because you reach them young people because they're going to be the next generation. But you've got to reach the kids because see, if you reach the little kids, then they're going to reach mom and dad who don't know Jesus Christ. And they can get, and then, but the, you've got to make sure that you're dealing with the divorced people because some of the people are just really bro- heartbroken. And then you've got to deal with these all over here because they're young and they're, and you've got to deal with the influence. But sometimes you've got to have a message that is up here for the lofty, high-thinking people. But then you need to bring the message back down here because you've got to deal with these people who are kind of on the backward side, the blue collar. No. No, I don't get lofty. <laughs> no. No. But there is something that happens. You could take the older saints who have many more miles and they should be teaching the younger saints. But the younger saints don't want to hear it because they think they got it all figured out. I was young once. Still am. I am. Don't they? I've got it all figured out. Then why do you keep repeating the mistakes that I've already made and I've told you how to not repeat those mistakes? How's come that happens? What are you building with? What do you build with? No, 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 no. Stop. I don't want to know what your wife builds with. I don't know what your children are building with. When you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, We all with unveiled face are beholding in a mirror. Who? Christ. What do you build with? What do you build with? Each man's work will become evident in verse 13, for the day will show it because it will be revealed with fire. You know what fire is, right? When you see fire in the Bible, what is it referring to? Testing it. I will test it. Let me ask you a question. Anybody in here being tested? Listen, you are either being tested just got done being tested or getting ready to be tested. 
You may not know it, but your life will go from turmoil to turmoil, tribulation to tribulation, to testing, to testing, to testing. It will. Why? Because there's only one thing a saint has ever been called to grow in. Faith. And how do you test your faith? Let me ask you a question. In your Christian walk, when has been the greatest times of your strengthening by Jesus Christ? In times of plenty or in times of little? In times of blessing or in times of suffering? So you are either in the process of the fire, you're deep in the middle of the fire, or you're getting ready to become toast. And that's what he's saying. Each man, what you are building in, what you are investing in, what is your priorities, what is your attitude, what is your action, will be tested by fire and it will be evident to all men. That's what he's saying. That's pretty good stuff. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work, which he has built on, remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Okay, then he gives this powerful statement in verse 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? When the people see you, do they know you're the temple of God? I've had people say, well, why don't we grow? Why don't we reach the lost? You know what? I don't think they know we're the temple of God. Why? When the fire comes, what is the saint's response? What does it look like? I mean, I'm still amazed at Joseph. Your family sells you into slavery. Sells you into slavery. You don't see him no more. It's all gone. And you get sold as a slave. You end up in this guy's house and you say, God is with me. God is with me. You just got sold into slavery. How can you say God is with you? Well, God is with me. God is with me. Well, but it don't look like a Joseph. You look like a blithering idiot. Gets into Potiphar's house and everything he touches excels. And here's the thing that Joseph keeps saying throughout the scriptures. It's not me. It is the Lord, and the Lord is with me. Potiphar's wife says, the old boy won't put out. I'll charge him with rape. They throw his butt in jail. They throw his butt in jail. You know what he says? The Lord is with me. Wait a minute. How can the Lord be with you? You guys know the rest of it. And the jailer, everything. I don't know how you prosper in jail, but Joseph did. He prospers in jail and the jailer said, hey, you run the jail. Why? It's obvious your God is kind of hanging with you. Look around, brothers and sisters, and tell me that you can look at the people that you're sitting with and say, no, it's not because of their talent. It's not their education. It is because God is with them. And tell me you see that. Tell me you see that. Back to your text. What you have in front of you in chapter 13 is the central focus, the single hinge 
that Christianity is. There is nothing more complicated. The whole focus, you've heard it. You know, I get saved and now I want to walk as Christ. I need the Christ life. I need indwelling. I need this. I need that. I need... It's already there. It's already there. It's already there. This church was lacking in no gift. No gift was missing from the church in Corinth. You know what? Castle Rock Baptist Church is lacking in no gift. But here's the key. This is the key to your Christian life. And you know what's tragic? From this day forward, you're without excuse. Okay, and everybody leaves. I didn't hear him. Love does not seek its own. Doesn't seek its own. This is, you know what? This is key to everything. Paul writing the church of Philippi says, Do nothing from vain conceit or selfish ambition, but what? Consider others more important than yourself. Who's others? Love is not interested in its own. It's not interested in self. Has no concern with self. Love is not... Love is interested in the things of someone else. Here's what Linsky said. And I thought this was phenomenal. Quote, Cure selfishness and you have just replanted the Garden of Eden. Unquote. You ever think about that? Cure selfishness and you've just replanted the Garden of Eden. Love does not seek... Have you ever thought about it? Every... And we always do this. We make these broad statements, don't we? And I don't think that's everybody. But I can make this statement emphatically. Every government and every civilization that has ever been or will ever be except for the kingdom of God does what? Self-seeking. Every form of government. I don't care if it's a dictatorship. I don't care if it's socialism. I don't care if it's democracy. What is it? A representative republic even. Does what? Seeks its own. Every civilization does what? Seeks its own. Every human being before regeneration in Jesus Christ does what? Seeks its own. What was happening in the church in Corinth? They were acting just like every lost person. Let me tell you something. When a person is invaded by Jesus Christ, overwhelmed by His love, it is so easy to spot. Why? They don't seek their own. It is so out of sync with everything that you just sit there and go, whoa, how did that work? See why I say it's the hinge? It all swings on this. Listen, I shared with you that spiritual gifts are given so that we each have that little piece that we make up the portrait of Christ. I would say that in the portrait of love that makes Jesus Christ, 
seeking not its own, would be the eyes of Jesus Christ. Unselfish eyes. They say that the eyes are the windows of the soul. And this portrait would show a soul that is selfless. That is selfless. Listen, the Corinthians were extremely selfish. Extremely selfish. But I want to share with you something. It was ironic that when uh, Steve Camp was here uh, that Sunday evening, do you remember his first song? Living in Laodicea. If you don't know, then go to the book of Revelations and you'll understand uh, Laodicea. Okay? But I want you to understand something. You and I have been warned. Okay? In more than one way. But one of the most powerful ways, uh, some of you remember, do you remember when I was teaching on discipleship and I used um, <clears throat> Second Timothy? Right? And I told you that in discipleship, you're going to have some problems. Okay? And one of the problems comes up in Second Timothy chapter 3. Realize this. Realize this. Okay? Be aware of this. No, this is coming. What? In the last days. Okay, last days. Last days started at the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Okay? It's an epic. In the last days, it's, it's, it's not a season, it's an epic. Okay? This epic is coming. Okay? These last days, we're in that season right now. All right? He says, difficult times will come. All right, cool. Man, they're going to hate the Christians. They're going to start burning us and putting us into lion's dens and all kinds of weird stuff. No, that's not what he says. He says, for men will be lovers of self. Well... You just said that every civilization and every government was like that. Well, here's the problem. This text is referring to the church. The church. Look around, brothers. What do you see? What do you see? You know, it's simple as this. Let me ask you a question. We all get, it's summertime. We all get ready for vacation, right? Has anybody ever thought here, you know what? Such and such in this church has never taken a vacation. I'd like to pay for them to take a vacation. What, are you stupid? You know how hard it is for me to take a vacation? That's just an illustration. Men will be lovers of self. Lovers of money. Boastful. Arrogant. Revilers. Disobedient to parents. Anybody think that that's missing? Um, Ungrateful. Unholy. Unloving. Irreconcilable. Malicious. Gossips. Without self-control. Brutal. Haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Hmm. Holding, now here's why this is the church, holding to a form of what? Godliness. Let me tell you something. Lost people do not hold to a form of godliness, nor are they concerned about holding to a form of godliness. It's not an issue for them. Although they have denied its power. Avoid these people. Avoid these people. You are in this, brothers and sisters, and you may be guilty of some of it. Okay? It's all around. But I use that illustration. It's summer. Everybody takes vacations in summer. Well, I think so. Well, that's normally, isn't it? In June, July, and August, we take vacation because if I have to drive, I don't want to make sure I don't get no blizzards. I prefer tornadoes and hail or flooding. Okay? Why would I want to deal with a snowstorm or ice? Beats me. Okay? 
But ask yourself this question. Okay? How much energy do you put in to your walk with Jesus Christ versus pleasure? Entertainment. I just got a thing on on the email that says Douglas County and all the counties in America is the 17th most expensive cost of living per year. Okay, it costs fifty, almost fifty-six thousand dollars a year to live in Douglas County, but they say that you have to spend four grand on recreation. So you can cut your bill a little bit if you don't play as hard. You know what that tells me? You live in a county where what is the main issue? Self. Self. Let me ask you a question. Have you bought into what the county says? Or have you bought into what Christ says? Look at the things that you and I pursue and tell me what are they? Okay. And go back to your text now in Corinthians because this is really good stuff. Am I seeking my own or am I seeking others? You ever thought about that? Listen, this text is so phenomenal because it, it, it coincides with the syntax, the structuring of chapter 14. Okay? There's a, a comparison. He uses these verses here, okay, in verses um, 4 through 7. And he contrasts them in chapter 14. And he's basically saying, I want you to stop being selfish. I want you to stop seeking that which is your own. Look at chapter 14, verse 4. One who speaks in a language, what? Edify self. There's an interesting construction here, and, 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 and there's a connection between chapter 14 and what you're reading out now in chapter 13. He's rebuking them, all right, for the fact that they are se- seeking what? Self edification. I am trying to strengthen myself. Look at chapter 14, verse 4. 14, sorry. 12. I don't know what I'm saying. Chapter 14, verse 12. So also, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, right? And I know people who will teach it. Be zealous. Grab you some gifts. Just get into Jesus' Christmas and rip them packages open and play. I remember the founder, the founder of the vineyard movement said, when I ran with the devil, I played with the devil's toys. If I'm going to run with Jesus, I'm going to play with Jesus' toys. What is that? Self. Self. Okay. Seek to abound. He says, seek after spiritual gifts. Seek to abound in spiritual gifts. For what reason? Read your text. For what? How are you doing with that one? How do you do with that one? Am I seeking with zeal to strengthen the church? Am I? 
Or are you fleshly? I want you to excel for the edification of the church. Not yourself. Don't seek your own. Why? Because if you're overwhelmed by the love of Christ, how can you seek your own? Do you understand this? This is what's amazing to me. Even in the area of spiritual gift, something that phenomenal, something that good, that perfect, that glorious, it has can be twisted and made into a selfish thing. Did you know that? You can take your gift and be selfish with it. You know what? How many in this room today are guilty of that? Go back to chapter 3. What are you building with? Wood, hay, or stubble? What do you build with? Am I here? I, I made this statement last week. Why are you in church? Why do you go to church? To protect the saints or to pick at the saints? Why do you go to church? For what you can get or what you can give? Do you understand? Now listen, I'm not sitting here talking about the budget or money or anything like that. You have a supernatural ability that God in the person of the Holy Spirit has given to you to strengthen the body of Christ. Or do you use it to strengthen yourself? Instead of using their gifts for others, they're using the gift to build themselves up. That's why people were seeking the show-off gifts. Love is free from that. Did you know that? Love is free from that. Love never, never, hear me well, love never ever dwells on itself. Never looks at itself. But what about me? Or what about I could have? And I could have been this. And I could have, And you know what? And you get bombarded with it on a daily, moment-by-moment basis. The whole society that you live on is all about you. We have, why do we have advertising? One of the largest industries in the United States is advertising. Why? I got to make you want that. And I'll do it however I can do it. And we look around at it. Oh, you got to have that new car smell. I need the newest computer. I need the newest MP3. I need the newest DVD. Why do we make them so small? I don't know. Anyway, I need to have this software. I need to have this car. I need this motorcycle. I need this tire. I need this. I, look at all we need. We have to have these. we got to have these now. Why? I don't know. Because the guy on the TV said I did. There's a reason they call it a boob tube. Love never, ever dwells on itself. Never. Never dwells on itself. Somebody else to live for is what love does. I want to live for you. I want to do this for you. I want to bear one another's burdens. Bring them on. Jesus, someone else to live for. The Son of Man has not come to be ministered to, but to what? To minister. To give his life as a ransom for many. Then he says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and what? So you are willing to give your life as a ransom for many. You have come to minister, not to be ministered to. Ask yourself a question. You fit there? You fit there? Love never seeks its own. Love is always seeking somebody else. 
Listen, this is the whole, the whole concept of love. The whole hinging of these 15 is right there in that one little phrase. It is selflessness. The, the, the 15 facets of this whole thing swing on this. Think about it. Not seeking your own. You are patient with all people. Not seeking your own. You are useful to all people. Not seeking your own. You are not jealous of anyone. Not seeking your own. You are not angry with anybody. Not seeking your own. You are not upset by anything. Not seeking your own. You cannot be provoked. How can you provoke somebody who is not seeking their own? Not seeking your own. How tolerant are you with people? Not seeking your own. How generous are you with people? Not seeking your own. How gracious are you with people? Not seeking your own. When would you ever be rude? And yet all of that means you are selfless. You are selfless. Listen. You who have been in this body of Christ have seen it. I know you have. I've seen it in this body. But I fear that we have become complacent. I think that the world is beating us down. And now we're doing it based on convenience. You can fall into the Corinthian catastrophe. Because all you have to think is that I'm not getting out of it what I'm putting into it. And all I'm going to say is get on the cross. Get on the cross. Because it takes a selfless person to die for those who are absolutely wrapped up in self. You want to see this church change? You want to see this church grow? Then every one of us We need to get on our knees and beg that self would be gone. Do not seek our own. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I just praise you for the amazing things you do. Lord, I thank you for the church and the preciousness that she is. And yet, Father, I understand that as you warned Timothy, you warn us this day. Father, this is difficult. This is not of man's abilities. This is not of man's methods, schemes. Father, this is solely and wholly a work of the divine. Father, you who could only speak existence into being, overwhelm us now. Help us, Lord. Father, we struggle here. You know that. You are tempted in all ways yet without sin. And Father, I know we have a, a great high priest who intercedes on our behalf. Help us, Lord. I beg you to help us. Father, it is so easy in this day and age to be wrapped up in self. It is so easy in this day and age to be overwhelmed by by self. And yet, Father, I know that we have a victory. Father, I lift every soul who hears this, Lord, that they will understand. They are not their own. And bought and paid for with a price. Price of Jesus' precious blood.
Father, let us let us live inside of that to your glory and praise. Amen.